Father, would you help us now as we look to your word? Would you help me to rightly divide it? I sure do need your help this morning. And I pray that you'd use me as a mouthpiece that is suitable for what you want to accomplish. Uh, Lord, I fail you all the time. In preparing this message, Lord, I was reminded of some things in my own life that need to be worked on. Lord, I want to be used of you. So forgive me where I fail you, Lord, and please use me in spite of myself. May Christ be lifted up in this message today and folks get the help that they need. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. <clears throat> I want to give you a little background, a little bit of context. Paul has uh, helped plant the church at Corinth somewhere around 52 A.D. And he wrote a first letter that was uninspired. It was, it was a personal letter that God did not see fit to include in the book, of, in the Bible. Uh, sometime thereafter, we see that in chapter 5, verse 9. And then he received a response from the church at Corinth, and they asked some questions. We, we see all that in the text. But in about 56 A.D. or so, he wrote what we now know as 1 Corinthians, probably from Ephesus, and he covered a great deal in this letter. Chapter 7 through 16 were instructive, richly doctrinal, and they answered a lot of the questions that they had sent, presumably, in that last letter. But chapters 1 through 6 were largely rebukes for sins that had crept in and that had been revealed in their church family. They, they, they came under three main categories, the three problems that they were having in the church at Corinth. First of all, were divided loyalties. They had division, real problems with division and, and you know, I'm of Cephas or Peter and I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and, and the real spiritual people, well, I'm of Christ. Those are the ones you watch out for the most. I am of Christ. Can I remind you, friend, who you're of is not important. It's who you're in. you got to be in Christ, not of Christ. The Pope's of Christ. Mormons are of Christ. I'm in Christ. And that's what makes all the difference. But anyway, they had, to, they had uh, divided loyalties. They also had depraved lust. There was some real immorality going on in, in, in the Corinthian church, and, and that wasn't the only thing. It was that people knew about it, wouldn't do anything about it. You know? And so Paul had something to say about that. But then thirdly, dirty laundry. They would have squabbles amongst each other, and they would go to secular civil courts instead of dealing with it in-house. We take 1 Corinthians 6 is, is, is why we have in our Constitution, our bylaws, we don't go to law with each other. And Paul dealt with that. You know. So they got some issues. But in these verses that we read, verses 9 and 10, Paul warns them not to be deceived. And specifically, he warns them not to be deceived regarding their transformation. Regarding their transformation. Let's read it again, verse number 9. Know ye not... That the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Who are these people? Well, fornicators is a blanket term for immorality. Idolaters is anybody that puts something or someone at or above the level of God in their lives. Adulterers is immorality that's, that's specifically within the bounds of somebody's marriage. Effeminate, this is an interesting one. Effeminate literally means soft. 
I'm not trying to be unkind, but it is not God's will that men act like ladies. That's what it literally means. It's not talking about their conduct. Now, now y'all, don't get mad at me. This is what the Bible says. God expects men to be masculine. That's specifically what he's covering there. You know, my son, my son, we, we, we have exercises with him and things that we do with him to encourage his masculinity. By the way, I hear this term toxic masculinity. Anything can be toxic. Anything can be taken and used in a way that's not, not scriptural and not godly. I understand that. But, but men, ought to, we ought to be able to look to men and expect them to be men. God forbid if something were to happen here today and somebody were to come in and threaten harm to this congregation, I would hope there would be some men that would be willing to stand up and do something about that. That's what effeminate means. But then abusers of themselves with mankind, this specifically speaks to homosexuality. That's what it means. Now, once again, are we unkind to folks? Do we mistreat them? No, of course not. But... I can't gloss over something that the Bible clearly says. It's wrong. Nor thieves. That's when you take something that doesn't belong to you. Well, I'm good there, preacher. Have you ever taken a paycheck for less than your best work? Covetous. Mm. You ever been discontent with what God's given you? That's covetous. See, see, we see the first half of this one say, well, I'm in good shape. Oh, no, we're not. Drunkards. <laughs> Drive a liquor liquors, never touched my lips. But have you ever been under the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit? Because if something other than the Holy Spirit and that which is righteous influences you, there we are. Revilers. What are Revilers people that are abusive in their speech can i tell you i've seen some christians type some pretty abusive things on social media and then extortioners these are people that seek to take advantage of the innocent says none of these people shall inherit the kingdom of god what does this have to do with our transportation transportation transformation this is paul saying This isn't you. You've been transformed, and yet you're being deceived regarding the transformation that has taken place in your lives. Remember, he's riding to a church that's in the middle of a wicked, wicked city. Corinth was bad. You've been transformed, and yet you're being deceived about that transformation. Now, let me tell you what these verses are not saying. They are not saying that people who engage in these sins cannot be saved. We're going to see later that that's absolutely not the case. And these are also not, these, these are saying that the truly redeemed cease to be these types of people. It's saying that the truly redeemed cease to be these types of people. So does this mean that if you're saved, you've called upon Christ to be your Savior, and and you fall into these sins that either you never were truly saved or you've lost your salvation, and I would offer a resounding no. That's not what it means. Will you follow me down a, a planned and sanctified rabbit trail for a minute? 
Look to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm chapter 5, rather. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hold your place here. We'll be back. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. The question upon us is this. If a Christian falls into any of these sins, and I think we've already established that all of us has fallen into at least one of them. Have you been covetous? Guilty. So does that mean I was never saved, or does that mean I've lost my salvation? No, doesn't mean that at all. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and this, this is a verse that is oftentimes misused. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That verse tells me that when you get saved, everything about you changes. Everything is new. And if you go back to that old way, then you're not a new creature. That's not what it's saying. I, I knew a preacher years ago. He's in heaven now. He, he, he was of the mindset, if you're truly saved, you've got instant victory over everything. And I just didn't see it that way because Scripture doesn't teach it that way. He said, I used to smoke and I got saved and I never touched them again. Can I tell you something? There's a whole lot of people that can testify to that. And there's a whole lot of people that can say, you know what? I got saved and I still struggle with some of the appetites that I cultivated in my life before I was saved. And one is not any less saved than the other. Now, I'm not saying that sin is okay. I'm saying we got to, we've got to live in reality. Remember, what are we dealing with? God's ideal, but man's real. So we look to the Christ who heals, Right? You're going to hear that a lot from now on. If I make it to 35 years as pastor, you're going to have heard this 15 billion times. Okay? What does this mean? It means you'll never sin again? No. What did John say? These things write unto you that you sin not. God's ideal. But if any man sin, man's real. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So it's not saying that we'll never sin again. You remember when you got saved? Maybe some of us, when we got saved, we had this idea, I'll never sin again. You ever been to some big meeting somewhere, maybe a camp meeting or some kind of conference or revival meeting or whatever, and I mean, it got on. It got on. And you went home, and you're like, I'm never going to struggle with that again. God's given me victory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Next night, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I messed up again. That's reality. It's not ideal, but it's real. Look at what it says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Things does not equal people. They're things. The old man still remains. Now, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's true. There is a new creature that comes into being at the moment of your salvation. It's called the new man. But does the old man go away? No. No. You now have two natures. 
When you get saved, you have two birthdays and you have two natures. And they're going to battle each other for the rest of your natural life. Okay? The old man still remains. Stay with me on this rabbit trail, okay? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20 says this, But ye have not learned, so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Since my salvation, well, let me back up a second. Every morning that I get up, I'm either going to put on the old man or the new man. It's my choice. Now, I need God's power to see it through, but I choose whether or not I'm going to walk in the old or walk in the new, whether I'm going to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. It's my choice because I've got two natures from which to choose. Now, I'm going to make a statement. Hear it, and just give me a second to catch up. Since my salvation, there are two of me, the old man and the new. You ever heard that old bluegrass song, Two Coats Are Before Me? Anyway, I'm not going to sing it for you. Now hear this. This is going to sound weird if you're not up to speed on the Scripture behind it. My new man, that part of me that is saved, is incapable of sinning. There is a nature within me that cannot sin. Andy, are you saying you don't sin? That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a part of me that can't. Listen to Romans 7, verse 18. Paul says, would you agree with me, Paul's arguably one of the greatest Christians ever walked the planet? Anybody in here thinks they're at the level of Paul? I don't. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Now listen to this. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Okay, here's where where we get the doctrine. Now if I do that I would not, if I do something I shouldn't do, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. When I sin, it's not my new man. It's not my, 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 my uh, revived man. It's not my spiritual man. It's that old man that sins, and I've given him dominion. But the part of me that's saved can't sin. It's that old flesh that still remains. Now, that's not a cop-out. That's not saying, well, I'm not responsible. No, you are absolutely responsible. But we need to understand the the doctrine of it. Now, go back to our text, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. (coughs) He's speaking to Corinthians, and some of them even saved are involved in some of these sins or have been. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. What is Paul saying? Some of you are still caught up in the sins of the old man. And by the way, if you're saved and you're caught up in the sins of the old man, according to Hebrews 12, you will see chastening. You will. But that doesn't mean you can't go there. Being saved doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I am forgiven. And I do still get chastened for my sin. Now, if you can sin all you want and God doesn't chasten you, I'm just telling you, according to Hebrews 12, you're not saved. You're not. But that's God's call, not mine. All right? Some are still caught up in the sins of the old man, and they have been deceived. Maybe they've got this idea, well, it's just how I am. Can I just tell you, I'm so sick of hearing this. Well, I'm just, I am what I am. It is what it is. That's just how I am. No, those are opportunities to get better. When my wife married me, she married me in a certain condition and loved me anyway. But you know, since we've been married, I've tried to work on some things that maybe weren't that great about me. You don't just sit back and say, well, I am how I am. That's just how it is. What a colossal cosmic cop-out. God intends for us to improve. Why does, why does your 13-year-old son not speak? Is not potty trained. Cannot feed themselves. Well, when they were a baby, they couldn't do any of those things, and that's just how they were, so I just left them. No! You work with them to improve them, to help them grow. Can I tell you something, Christian? We ought to expect the Lord to work with us and help us grow and help us improve and be better men and women than we were this time last year. Amen. Mm. What's he saying? Some of you Corinthians are still caught up in the sins of the old man and you have been deceived. Because of Christ, you are no longer those people. So stop living like it. You are no longer those people. Stop living like it. Now, why do I know that's what he's saying? Keep reading. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But, man, don't you love that word? You were, but (laughs) you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This whole thing's been introduction which should scare the daylights out of you. Not really. So we're seeing from this passage that when we get saved, we become two people. We have the old man and the new man, the carnal man and the spiritual man. We walk after the flesh or after the spirit. So God means for us to live a transformed life that, that measures up and that, that, that is alongside of who he created us to be. So here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. How do I live that transformed life? 
If that's God's intention for me, and I'm not supposed to live like the old man anymore, I've been deceived thinking that's just how it is, and I'm always going to struggle with this. I'm always going to be this way. I've been deceived that I'm always going to be this sinner. Then how do I move from the old man to the new man? If I have to choose, how do I make the right choice? How do I make sure that the new man, the spiritual man, has dominion in my life and not my flesh? And so that leads us to the title of the message, Living the transformed life. Now, let me say quickly, I do not present myself to you as somebody who has mastered the subject matter of this message. There are times that my life is quite untransformed. I am still working on it myself, but it doesn't change the truth of God's word. I don't preach from a position of moral authority. My soul, I never do. But this is what thus saith the Lord. How do we live the transformed life? And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. How do I live the transformed life? Really quick. Number one, live your salvation. Live your salvation. Look what he says. But ye are washed. Washed? What's he talking about? Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Revelation 1, verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Last night, my children went on an outing. And on that outing, they enjoyed God's creation to the fullest. And it involved dirt and creek water and everything in between and they got in the car, and to use a phrase that I've heard here many times, they smelled like polecats. What needed to happen is they needed to be washed. Can I tell you, I know from experience, at some point we'll have to wash them again. Right? But can I tell you, when you get saved and your sins get washed, it's a one-time deal. You don't have to keep going back and getting saved over and over again. Now, there is a cleansing that's involved in sanctification, but I'm talking about being saved. Once your sins are washed away, away means away. They're gone. In the Old Testament, sins were covered by the blood. In the New Testament, they're washed away. They're gone. As far as the east is from the west, and the depths of the sea, the sea that has no shore can't get to them they're gone so quit living like you got keep, got to keep getting rewashed over and over again when you got saved it was enough you've been washed you've been cleansed live in that number two live in your specialness that is a word i looked it up in your specialness look at what he says you're washed, 
but ye are sanctified. What does sanctified mean? It means set apart. She's not in here this morning for me to use an example, so I'm sure she's thrilled about that. But if she were here, if my wife were sitting up here somewhere, I would explain to you this, this songbook representing my wife. There's a lot of songbooks in here. This one's mine. And not only is it mine, you can't have it. You can't borrow it. It's mine. How long is it yours? Till I'm dead. It's mine. Do not mess with my songbook. I told our friend Foster back there when he came here, there's two things that you don't mess with in a pastor's life. Don't get on the wrong side of his wife and don't mess with his books. He's done one of the two. (laughs) And they're equally dangerous. It's my songbook. It's been set apart for me. When you got saved, you know what God did? This is my saint. And he's special to me. She's special to me. And you can't have her. You can't have him. They belong to me. How long? How long do we belong to God? Till he's dead. When will God die? Never. So I'm his forever. I'm special. I matter to him. When you, when you realize that you matter to God, that you're special to God, it helps you behave. Right. I don't want to behave because I'm afraid God's going to whoop me, although that is true. I want to behave because God loves me. I don't want to do right by my wife because I'm afraid she'll leave me. I want to do right by my wife because I love her and because she loves me. And she's been good to me. And she's special to me. And I'm special to her. That's what being sanctified is. Set apart. It's not about all the things you can't do. It's about all the things you can. Separated unto God. Hebrews 10 verse 11, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That makes me sound pretty special. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 4, 3, but no, that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. This one's mine, and you can't have him. You want to live a transformed life? Live in your salvation. Live in your specialness. Hey, thirdly, live in your stainlessness. He says in verse number 11, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification. I stood in the courtroom of heaven 
and that old accuser accused me, and Jesus offered up my defense, and God pronounced me not guilty. That's not justification. You know what justification is? I stood in the courtroom of heaven, and the old accuser accused me, and Jesus stepped in front of me and offered his own scarred self. And God said, there is no evidence of this. Case dismissed. He doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. And Jesus, who has no stain, who has no sin, when God looks at me positionally, I am righteous, just like his son. And if I'll really dig into that and meditate on that, it'll help me live a transformed life. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If I want to live a transformed life, I need to get a hold of my salvation and my specialness and my stainlessness. But you know what? Fourthly, I need to live in my Savior. Think about it. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Remember, it is not, it is not who you are of. It is who you are in. I am in Christ. In Christ. Remember when we were reading out of, Revel- out of Romans chapter 7? Paul, Paul goes on to say in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. This is where I really get tripped up. I look at my life, and I'm trying to live this level, this level of victory. And I don't. And it's because when I look back on it, it's all been my effort. I got to push through this. I got to do better. I got to be stronger. I got to be wiser. I got to be godlier. And I'm all for trying to be better. But you better understand that you won't get any of it done of your own ability. I need the Christ that I'm in. And you know when I've seen the most victory in my life? When I've stopped trying and just fell on my face before Jesus and said, I can't do it. The old man's winning again.
and I can't do it. And that's when Jesus says, it's about time you got there. You can't. I told the disciples that way back in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. But with me, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But I got to start involving him. I'm not good enough to live it. You're right, you're not. You weren't before you were saved, and you're not once you are saved. You need Christ. And how does he accomplish this, the last thing? I need to live in my salvation. I need to live in my specialness. I need to live in my stainlessness. I need to live in my Savior. And in doing that, I'll learn to live in my sealing. What in the world does that mean? But such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Give me a minute. The Lord just laid something on my heart, I think. Maybe not. That's too much, and we don't have that kind of time. I'll add that to something else later. Facebook memory popped up on us the other day. Nine years ago on that very day, we purchased our home. We've been living where we live for nine years now. And, you know, we have a mortgage on it, and we make monthly payments to said mortgage. But you know what we did to, to secure that loan? We made a down payment. Fairly sizable one, actually. We made a down payment. And that down payment was meant to, to signal to our mortgage holder that we intend to pay the entire amount. That down payment is what we call our earnest. When you got saved, God said that he had a will that was predestined for you, that he was going to conform you to the image of Christ. Now, how many of you know that when you're the image of Christ, you never have to worry about sin again, right? Christ doesn't sin, right? So when I'm the image of Christ, I'm not sinning anymore. So he's working to make me more like his son, Jesus. That's his destiny for my life is to be, to be like, just like Jesus. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a down payment. I'm going to give you an earnest. I'm going to seal this deal to show you that I'm going to bring to pass what I said I would. And it's not a what. It's a who. He gave me the Holy Spirit as a promise. Ephesians 4, verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us as God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. You want to read more about that? Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 is a great passage. How do I know that one day I'm going to get the victory? How do I know that one day I'm going to live in triumph? How do I know that one day I'm going to, I'm going to get past this? and the, the new Because God sealed you with the Holy Spirit of his promise. And that's his promise that he'll get you there. And so every time the Holy, the Holy Ghost works in your heart and works in your life, that's your reminder that God 
will get me to victory. Every, every, every time. So what? Well, here's the so what. I don't have any idea. That's between you and God. But everybody in here has something you struggle with. I do. We have something that, that we want to get victory over. We want to live a transformed life. If you're saved, there's something in you that wants to be better. Now, if you could care less, then we need to have a talk. But there's something in you that wants to be better. And yet you come up short over and again. First of all, you've got to understand that you're not one person anymore, you're two. The spirit and the flesh, you've got two natures and they are at war. The flesh is at enmity with God. It's at war. So the spirit needs to win. How? Go back to that verse. Lord, I can't do it. I'm not man enough to do it, or maybe I'm too much man to do it. I need your help to live the transformed life. And so I'm going to live in the reality of my salvation. I've been washed. I'm going to live in the reality of my specialness. I don't deserve it, but you have sanctified me. You have set me apart. I'm going to live in the reality of my stainlessness. You have justified me. It's as though I never sinned. And I'm going to live in the Savior that you gave me, the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to live in the ceiling of the Holy Spirit of God. And then you're on your way to living a transformed life.